What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Brady Swenson. Brady is the host and creator of the Citizen Bitcoin podcast. Many of you will know Brady already. For those of you who don't, uh, he's got one of the top podcasts in the space. He's interviewed a ton of awesome people, and he does a really great job um, as host and interviewer. So if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend you do so. This is the primary portion of my conversation with Brady. So we took about 90 minutes and just geeked out on Bitcoin. Really fun chat, really enjoyed it, and uh, I suspect you will as well. If you want to hear more from Brady after that, the Rapid Fire episode is available now also. That's it. Enjoy. Let's do it. Thanks for having me on the show, dude. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure to speak with you. Such an experienced hand in the space. This will be fun. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, I've been here for like a couple years. <laughs> and that's experience. That's enough experience. Well, in this space, sure. I I fell into the rabbit hole like kind of late 27. Well, not late 20, Late like spring 2017, so like middle 2017. Um, and, you know, I, I immediately, like I found Andreas Antonopoulos, um, and then I immediately found Vitalik Buterin <laughs> and, and watched some of his stuff and was sort of like taken by his whole shtick for a while. Um, Brady, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. Ethereum. Just give me one second. I'm going uh, to switch over yeah. my Wi-Fi because I'm getting a, a, quite a bit of a lag uh, delay. So let me just, yeah, yeah. I might lose you. Sorry, so you went down the rabbit hole, you found Andreas, but then you also found Vitalik. I think I know where this is going, but go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, before that, I had heard about Bitcoin for quite a while, too. I, I was on Slashdot, um, and I, I heard about it on there. I set up a Coinbase account in 2014. I have a small regional bank, so I had trouble getting fiat to Coinbase and just kind of gave up on it. Uh, and then I, you know, saw it again when it broke the all-time high in 2017. Um, and then it was a few months later that I, I saw an article about it again. I just, I, I found, somehow found Andreas on YouTube and started watching that. and was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> this is, there's so, there's so much more going on here than I, like, I thought. It's, and so, yeah, I was just, like, sucked in down the rabbit hole. Um, then I found Vitalik and, like I said, was kind of sucked in by his shtick for a while and Ethereum and that whole idea, the next Bitcoin. And of course the price of Ethereum was just going crazy. Um, you know, and then the whole fork wars started in like August of that year. And I just didn't have quite enough, like I didn't have enough understanding to be really convicted about which way that was going to go. And I was just really scrambling, trying to catch up with a bunch of Bitcoiners and, you know, listening to Roger Veer and like, reading r slash btc and r slash bitcoin which is just a big like flame war going on um and i finally sort of figured things out i wrote a blog post called just for myself really but i put it on medium why roger veer is wrong about bitcoin scaling and that was kind of how i figured it out um and i so during that process i had i had sort of hedged myself so i had bought some bitcoin cash so basically i had roughly the same amount of bitcoin and bitcoin cash uh, in terms of like US dollar value and kind of split it up and I was like, all right, I'm you know, one way or the other I'm gonna I'm gonna be all right and When I made when I wrote that blog post it was like middle of November and It was right. It was like two weeks before the ninja launch on coinbase, right? They just like Silently launched Bitcoin cash on coinbase and it just went nuts like a couple days before Thanksgiving 2017 and I remember being in this kind of traders room uh, on some discussion forum and and people were like 
oh my God, this red candle is going to be epic, you know, and it's just going up and up and up. And it almost reached parity with Bitcoin in terms of US dollars. And right around like 4,500 bucks, I sold it all, um, made a bunch of Bitcoin. And I was just super stoked about that. I was like, on, I was high on that for like three or four days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it happened, the timing was perfect because I had just kind of arrived at this like, you know, finally, I had a little bit of conviction about what was what was happening, what was going on, enough understanding. Um, and then, yeah, and then I was I had been talking this whole time in my co-working space with a, a guy named Tommy. He's an older older dude, really cool. Uh, and he he saw me, <laughs> I he saw me with like a a chart, you know, looking at charts all the time. And you know, I don't look at charts anymore, but back then I was definitely watching charts and getting all into TA and stuff. Like you do, and, uh, and so, <laughs> like, you do. <laughs> like you do. So Tommy was really curious about what was going on, and I started talking about Bitcoin. So he and I just had more and more conversations. We have like a little happy hour every Thursday here, and we'd sit down, and have a beer, and talk Bitcoin every week. And so eventually, we we're like, all right, well, just you know, to help us learn as a forcing function for us to learn, let's just start recording our conversations. So in January 2018, Tommy and I just started recording our conversations. Every couple of weeks, we'd sit down and, and record a, a podcast. We put it on YouTube for a while, and that didn't really have any pickups, so we just started publishing an audio because it was easier to do. And so we did that all, all 2018. And then uh, in 2019, I felt like I had enough of an understanding. I was really feeling confident. I had built up kind of this network on Bitcoin Twitter, kind of met a bunch of the Bitcoiners. Uh, and felt like, you know, I could start interviewing them, like, you know, kind of at least and have a decent conversation with these Bitcoiners and learn even more from, from them. So I started doing interviews. And I think my first one was Hodlinot, actually. Uh, it was right around the, uh, the, the lightning torch had just started. Um, and so talked to him about the lightning torch thing and, and it was off to the races from there. Um, it's been awesome. I've been doing one a week since then. And I think the last Tommy and I did 20 episodes. We're at episode 54 now, just recorded that with, with Gigi. So I've got about 34 interview episodes under my belt now. Um, it was, it's been amazing. Met a bunch of them, uh, Bitcoiners in, in real life, uh, at Bitcoin 2019, which was an awesome experience. Uh, highly recommend, like if you're, you know, okay with, you know, the, the, the OPSEC risks that come with it. Uh, I think it's awesome to go out and meet Bitcoiners in real life. Um, I, I learned a ton. Like I said, I mean, conviction went, went you know, sky high after that. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the story, man. That's how we got into Bitcoin and started doing this, this, this podcast thing. I was listening to the GG episode. Well, first of all, the one with Robert Breedlove was phenomenal, man. Just, I know you got a lot of, uh, a lot of praise for that one. I think it's well-deserved. It was just, yeah, it was just a great episode. Um, that was Robert, <laughs> really. <laughs> well, yeah, but mostly. But you know, you need the, he needs a dance partner to get it all out properly. Um, but yeah, I was listening to one with, with Gigi uh, before, like earlier tonight. I only got about halfway through it, but uh, it always amps me up listening to him, right? Because he's like, it's funny yeah. because on, on Twitter versus you know when you speak to him, you get a bit of a different vibe, right? Which is the case right, for e right. everybody. And on Twitter, like, he's a hyper bull, you know, sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, like a religious character as he as he often uh, refers to. But, uh, but yeah, super nice guy and just super, super. And, and then, you know, he hearing him describe, you know, like what happened in Riga and how he kind of went off the rails just with his, his bullishness <laughs> and his, like, you know, 
obsession with Bitcoin and everything. I, I just, I loved it. I love, I mean, just having, I know like a lot of us who do podcasts, I mean, there's a lot of overlap with speaking to the same people, right? And naturally, because, right. you know, the, the space is only so big. But for some reason, like I just, I never really tire of it. Like I'm a big consumer of podcasts myself and just hearing I mean, of course, you'd love to hear other people that kind of reaffirm your own convictions, right? That's always nice, stroking your ego, like, oh, yeah, other people agree with me, too. You know, I'm not, I'm not a crazy person. But just, you know, hearing people talk about such a potentially revolutionary thing in a, such an informed, educated, convicted, passionate, clear, articulate, blah, 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 blah way it's just like, yeah. it's the coolest thing ever. The fact that we get to drop in and be a fly on a wall for these conversations with with all these super cool people. And they're, you know, very different, uh, like united over Bitcoin and some of the qualities that, that Bitcoiners share. But, you know, from all walks of life, all countries, you know, colors and everything like that. It's, I think it's, it's such a, it's such a compelling phenomenon. You know, I guess that's why it pulls those of us that it pulls in. Yeah, man, I... I've been calling it the dawn of the Bitcoin renaissance for a while now. and, and uh, Makes sense. That's kind of the brand that I've been going for for Citizen Bitcoin. You know, the, the logo is kind of this rising sun, and, and I want to have this sort of optimistic, sort of forward-looking vibe. And I think we're just so lucky to be here in this moment at the beginning of this uh, and and be able to talk to all these people. I mean, these these are the people who are going to be, you know— future leaders and magistrates of the world, you know, uh, in a new Bitcoin world. Uh, and it's just amazing to get to know them and the network that we're building. Uh, you know, the future is is going to be absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, and being being here at the beginning is just kind of a special thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I actually made a tweet about it today where I said something along the lines of like, you know, if if we're and I usually like throw out this caveat when I start to get hyper bullish with with certain guests because I just want people to know if they're tuning in and they're not like hardcore Bitcoiners like yes I understand like it might not work <laughs> out right but let's 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 pause yeah. that for a second let's shelve that and just act as though we're right and um yeah, I mean, if if we're wrong, we'll be like looked at as well-meaning idealists, right? But if we're right, sure. we're we've got front row seats for the most fantastic revolution of the human story. Like, right. and that, yeah. I don't, I say that, and it doesn't even sink <laughs> in, you know, because how could it? We can't. It's really hard to see outside of the times that you're in, but. Like we're pretty, we're close enough to have an inkling of what that might be like, and I, and again, like if if our perception of this thing is is correct, and if you know, if we're, I, I know there's luck involved, and there's many different elements involved, and whether or not this thing is ultimately successful, but if it is, man, being at this, you know, being at the frontier of it, I can't. I mean, that's why we're here, because we probably both share this, and everybody else in the space shares it. It's like can't. I just can't allow myself to be uh, intellectually pulled in any other direction than this one because it's the most compelling by far. Oh, yeah, by far. And it's, you know, Trace Mayer says this a lot. Uh, it's attracting, you know, our generations, several generations, the generations that are alive right now, it's attracting the polymaths uh, of those generations uh, because it's just the most compelling intellectual challenge and with with the, you know, most incredible potential payoff, potential benefit 
to humanity. Yeah. Uh, and so how could you not want to be a part of that? Uh, even, you know, like you said, even if it doesn't happen, just, you know, being a part of the discussions that I'm having, having learned about what money really is, uh, you know, getting to know these incredibly smart, amazing people, all worth it right there. Just all that worth it. Totally. And I, I don't think, I don't think that, you know, obviously I don't think we're wrong. Um, and you know, I, I, it's important to stay humble as Matt O'Dell always says, stay humble and stack your sets. But, and I think, you know, I do think that's important, but I don't think that we're wrong at this point. My conviction is incredibly high, you know, understanding that Bitcoin is the killer app of the internet. This is, you know, one, I think the reason that the internet or like the most important, you know, reason the internet exists. And, you know, I'm, I'm about, I just turned 40 this year. So I'm like, you know, on the older end of the millennials, younger end of the, of generation X, kind of that crossover generation. And I have been on the internet since I was about, let's see, probably about 10 years old. Uh, I had, we had our first computer. I was running a BBS, uh, a dial up BBS. Um, I had a friend who was at a local university and he gave me his uh, sign on for their for their network. And so I was able to actually get onto the internet itself and, uh, you know, start using uh, chat and stuff, Usenet, all that stuff. And it just kind of went on from there. I, I, you know, I got to witness as a as a child and teenager this the, the birth of the internet. And it's happening all over again now, uh, being able to witness it as an adult with all that experience and my belt professionally and just, you know, personally, uh, to be able to appreciate it that much more about what's happening here. And I think when you combine those network effects of the internet and the network effects of, of money, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's unstoppable at this point. Yeah. I think it's, you know, inevitable that it will become the native currency, the native money of the internet. Whether or not it becomes the global reserve currency or whatever, I think is uh, less certain. But Bitcoin is here to stay and ha will have a major part to play in the future of humanity. So yeah, yeah, and I I totally agree. So you know, like I said, I throw out those caveats just so you know, because I always hate when I'm listening to people that uh, don't seem to appreciate the counter argument, even if they're like, yeah. even if they're crazy bullish. So I want to be crazy bullish, but to kind of enhance my credibility, I want the detractors that might be listening to know, like, I get the, I get the argument against, like, I really get it. Yeah. And I'm just saying yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm bullish despite of that, despite that argument, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We could be wrong. We could be wrong. And I think being confident and convicted is fine. Sure. Um, you know, people say like, like uh, strong opinions, weakly held. I, I'm moving more towards what, like Bitstein said on in our interview a few a few weeks ago. Like strong opinions, strongly held, and people just kind of react to that, and in, 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 you know, rightfully so in some sense, uh, because you know we could all be wrong, and it seems arrogant. But you know, once you've studied this, you know, week in week out for a couple of years, and it's you're been consumed by it completely, uh, it, it just becomes you know apparent that. It's gonna happen. So. Yeah, and I think the the like the assessment of it being right or wrong is probably the wrong like language to use on it because the things that would undo it aren't the things that we're looking out and saying like determining whether it's right or wrong. Like the tech wise and the community wise and the network wise and the people that are involved in this like that all is like pretty much unequivocally bomb. 
you know, that's bomb. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah bomb. but, you know, there are X factors that are often mentioned, like state intervention and this and that, that may slow it down, kill it. We don't know. Like we, you know, everyone is just kind of, uh, you know, a little bit conservative with their wording for those reasons of the unknown factors. But yeah, I mean, like anybody who's listening to this pod right now is probably like, <laughs> yeah, fuck all that shit. This shit is definitely going to work. We like, we're, <laughs> we're all right. And that's, that's just the way it is. But uh, yeah. to your point about the, did you say it was uh, Trace saying that like the polymaths are coming to to this? Um, you know, Gigi actually talks about that as well. I think in one of his, uh, you know, his work, I don't know if it was an article or part of his website, but just the the fact that the Bitcoin, the gravity of Bitcoin, is starting to pull on so many different uh, elements of society and industries and types of people. And like, I'll be honest, when I got into it, I was just like, it's clear that the state having total control over the creation and the distribution of money is a societal ill or like an ill for humanity. That, that much is clear. And if this thing represents the possibility of a viable alternative, it's it's valuable in my book. But at, you know, at this stage, that's, and that's still probably like goal number one. That's still probably like, you know, the main, the main value prop. But uh, it's just amazing to see how this phenomenon is changing people, you know, and I, we're, we're obviously just at the tip of the iceberg on that. And actually, I heard you speak about it way, you know, way back on several podcasts when I think you were explaining um, the genesis of the name Citizen Bitcoin and you were kind of articulating yeah. that like, you wanted to represent or explore kind of um, the different attributes, characteristics, personalities uh, that compose someone who's a, like a citizen of the Bitcoin economy or the, you know, a, a, the Bitcoin world. And these are starting to become, I mean, again, like whether it's carnivory or whether it's um, <laughs> low time preference stuff, like not everybody adheres to that, of course, but just the fact that it, people can now see that it does have an impact on behavior beyond just having another uh, secure mm-hmm. store of value. And I think this is where, you know, the religious sort of terminology starts coming out because people kind of see how it's affected behavior and then they extract it out and say, well, if this is even more instrumental in society and people's lives, then presumably the, there'd be kind of a multiplier effect on its impact on people's behavior. And I, you know, I think a lot of people like, Gigi and Hass and other people are starting to see like, yeah, this could really, this could be more than just a better, a better currency, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. It, I mean, the follow on effects of adjusting your time preference that is, you know, basically inspired by Bitcoin, by hard money, mm-hmm. uh, are, are profound. Uh, and if you look at, you know, history, the, the eras where we've been able to sustain uh, the, you know, relative, uh, hardness of gold and not debase it. Uh, we've had incredible progress and people have been able to pursue their, uh, their individual, their dreams, basically what, what inspires them the most. So we've had, you know, we had it, we had a Renaissance the first time around. And, you know, I, I said earlier that, you know, maybe whether whether or not you know Bitcoin becomes the global reserve currency, et cetera, is is de- is more debatable. I don't think it's debatable in the long run because the 
economic truth of hard money will assert itself. I just am, I am uncertain how fast that will happen because I do think that the state has a lot of power and the central banks have a lot of power to exert. And, you know, I, it'll happen in the long run. I'm just not sure exactly how fast it will happen. I think the Bitcoin will become the native money of the internet very quickly. And, you know, all of e-commerce will get sucked up into that black hole very quickly. I think it'll happen in the next 10 years, almost for certain. Um, and then we'll see how long states can resist. But eventually, you know, those fiat monies will hyperinflate and the conceit that humans can manage money better than, uh, you know, this sort of uh, natural or very simple uh, system, this very simple monetary supply that Bitcoin has is going to be proven absolutely insane and incorrect. Um, and yeah, so we'll be kind of freed from that, uh, that conceit that has, you know, spread all over the world. Like we're like, you know, we're living in this Keynesian age. This is the age of Keynesian cultists and they have pursued and stuck to these falsehoods and, and, you know, I guess, uh, forced them on the rest of the world. Uh, and that's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's the greatest, it's one of the greatest thefts in, in human history. I mean, uh, you know, money has been debased for a long time, but the scale at which it's happened now is just unmatched, uh, in, in history. Um, you know, mainly because we're, it's, you know, we're at a different phase in history. You know, we've have, we have a global society, so it's easier for uh, that to happen, uh, at that, at this scale. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're going to see people change. Uh, I have changed already uh, at this point. I, I am much more likely to save. I'm more thoughtful about my future, about my family's future. Uh, I'm more productive. I'm healthier. I'm more disciplined. And all of those things make me a better person in general, yeah. right? I respect myself more because of because of all of those sort of uh, values that have been instilled simply by the truth of hard money. <laughs> right? Yeah. Can, can we, can we dig into this for a second? Because like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super fascinated by, and look, like the, some, some of those things that you mentioned, like I've always been super frugal, for example. So it hasn't changed like my frugality that much, let's say. And I've always been kind of a minimalist. Like, you know, I have two pairs of shirts, two pairs of shorts, a pair of jeans. Like that's pretty much all the clothes I have in the world. So, but yep. to the to the other things that you've mentioned, thinking about future and family and planning, and you know, it's almost like and I want you know let, let's dig in to this uh, on this together. But like somehow it draws, and I hate to use this term because it's very like woo woo new age. So fill in whatever is a more appropriate term. But like it's almost like interacting with this thing draws your like higher self or a better version of yourself or a more optimized perception of your potential out of yourself and why right. the fuck is that why does it what's going on there is it just because you want to save because you think it's like you'll you'll have more money in the future if you sacrifice the present it seems like it's more than that i i really think that that's that's what it is but it's hard to understand how profound the effects the follow-on effects of that very simple change is right and for me like there are people that despite living in this kind of fiat age uh, are still disciplined and like you said frugal and and thoughtful and and plan ahead and save and all of that 
Um, and I, I commend to those people. I am, I was not one of them. <laughs> um, I had very high time preference. I, I would, you know, I, I, yeah, I would really, I was living for experiences and I spent a lot of money on experiences, which, you know, to some degree are important. Like, you know, for me growing up, it was really just kind of selfish experiences, you know, just traveling, going out with friends and, and doing it in a way that wasn't frugal, you know, or wasn't really thoughtful about how I spent my money. Um, I am mindful of with my children and my family that, you know, that time really goes very quickly. You know, your kids are really only kids for about 10 years, you know, and then it preteen and teen, and then they're sort of off on their own, making their, making their own way, spending a lot of time with their friends and stuff. So the time that you really get to be a full-time parent where the, where your kids are, you know, really just look to you for guidance and, and nurturing and all of that. Uh, lasts a very short time. So I am mindful of that. And that, that is, I think, a main uh, a driver of, of time preference. And one of the reasons why, you know, the, the argument that we're going to get in some deflationary spiral is absolute crap, because we all have limited amount of time, right? Our time is the most scarce asset that we have until Bitcoin. And, um, you know, Bitcoin can kind of match that, uh, get close to that. And eventually, maybe when it's infinite stock to flow in 2140 and beyond, uh, will become infinitely scarce, um, just like a time for us. And so, yeah, I I was more of a high time preference person. Uh, just the, that's just my nature. Um, and I I can I, I I absolutely see the change that it's made in me. And it's really simply that you know with with fiat the I can do that economic calculation too, right? Like. Uh, I, I can borrow money at a certain rate. I can play the credit card game. I can, you know, figure out ways to, you know, have 0%, uh, borrow money at 0%, pay it back in a certain amount of time or whatever. I can, I, I can play that game. Um, but it's incentivized to spend, 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 because that money is decreasing in value. You want to get it out of your pocket. You want to, or invest, you know, in something, uh, that is more scarce than the fiat itself. So, I just hadn't, I had some investments, but you know, um, not as much. I don't know. It's just the, the way that I was my nature. And I think that there are a lot of people out there like me, um, that, you know, will change when Bitcoin sort of, you know, inspires them, uh, to through just the very simple fact, uh, truth of, of hard money, uh, to save a bit more, uh, invest a bit more, think long, a little bit longer term. And that just kind of piles up and piles up and creates a society that is thinking more along those lines. And then you get, you know, beautiful, uh, projects that are, you know, long-term thinking, uh, huge, beautiful architecture, you know, amazing art, um, you know, like just incredible, like feats of engineering. Uh, and, and we've seen that in the past. So I think we're, we can look forward to that in the future too. Yeah. And I think that is one of the central points, you know, about people having, you know, the calmness and the clarity of mind and the confidence to put a large amount of work into something over a long period of time. So this quality over quantity sort of thing that, you know, this, uh, I guess, reversion from expediency, because, and, and this is maybe, this was what I was thinking, how it's impact me the most, um, is just, I think, 
by virtue of, and I think a lot of this is subconscious. Like I don't think people are walking around with fiat in their in their pocket. Like, oh, I got to spend this before it's worthless. You know, it's just I right. think I right. think the underlying monetary standard of a civilization or a culture just you know is very insidious and it it, it impacts behavior in a variety of ways. And I think with uh, with something like Bitcoin, where where before there might have been an anxiety about the future, like a, um, like an uncertainty, like I don't know if it's going to pan out. And that anxiety caused you, you know, well, you lacked clarity of mind, you lacked calmness, and that just caused you to operate in a way that favored expediency, right? Because it was more easy to establish certainty on a short time frame than a long time frame. Like I, I can just manage now or next year, or the next couple of years, and I'll go year by year. But I think once you have that kind of, um, you know, that thing way off in the future that's pulling you forward and that in which you can have a high degree of confidence, um, I think it, it, provi- it, like it bestows or at least allows you to access a calmness. And you're just like, okay, you know, now uh, my time and money is not slipping through my hands like sand. You know, I'm, I, I have something in the future that's, that I can rely on. Okay. Be, now that yes. that's the case, what is most important? What is most meaningful? What is the best way to approach the work that I want to do? And I think that's why yep. in, in, in previous examples, you got like those that famous architecture and those famous art because like they uh, had a confidence and a calmness that allowed them to just fully commit to the, the highest expression of their work that they were capable of. Not the most expedient, not... <clears throat> Not the, you know, the get rich quick, not the just get it done for the paycheck, but, you know, what is my highest capability in this domain? How do I express that? And I somehow through, you know, even even that was, you know, that doesn't do it justice, but somehow that uh, th- uh, that confidence that in the future they'll, you know, uh, their time or their resources will be available to them, will be accessible. Yeah. It's the ability to run a 50-year project. Right, you know? right. I mean, in 50 years, fiat will inflate to the point where, you know, the, the purchasing power is extremely low, uh, you know, compared to what it was, you know, 50 years before that. And if you look at, like, what fee- the the economy that fiat has produced for most people, right, I'm not talking about very rich people or the even the upper 10%, because those people will have access to invest their fiat into scarce assets, you know, uh, equities, houses, condos, art, things like that, right? And that that will hold value more than the fiat. And that's what they do. All of those have monetary premiums on them now that Bitcoin will suck away. But most people are are living paycheck to paycheck at this point. If you look at uh, WTF happened in 1971.com, which was made by Colin and Ben uh, at the Bitcoin Echo, Echo Chamber podcast, Ben Prentice and Colin. And it's just a, really a, a collection of all of these graphs that show the, an inflection point very clearly at, in 1971. And one of the most important is you can, you've seen productivity and wages rise you know, basically in tandem. Until 1971, they split. Wages went basically flat. Productivity continued to rise. So, so essentially, it, it's, it's a way to steal from people's productivity, people's time, right? And that means that, you know, you have to, basically, if your wages wages are flat, mean wages are flat, most people 
aren't able to make enough money to maintain their standard of living. The standard of living just keeps going down over time. You know, the gro my grocery bills are far higher now than even I remember when I started buying my own groceries 20 years ago. Like it's, I can't go to the grocery store without spending a hundred bucks almost, right. you know, every time. Uh, I, I buy, I fill up a couple bags and I'm like, what the hell? This is, you know, this is a hundred bucks for all this, you know? Um, meat is super expensive, milk, eggs, you know, crazy expensive for all that stuff compared to just 20 years ago. If you go back to 1971, it's, it's even crazier. Uh, so it's just, it's theft, it's time theft. Um, and it, it, it is hard for most people to, those, those investments are inaccessible just because you're living paycheck to paycheck. And so you really have no way to store your wealth. Um, you're just trying to get by. And it's insidious, like you said. It's money is, as Ron Paul says, you know, half of every human interaction, every every economic interaction, money is one half of that. You know, and then a good good or service is on the other side. Um, so yeah, it's it's affecting every human interaction, every economic human human interaction, with kind of in a way that you can't really see in on a day to day basis. It takes you know decades, and if you're not studying this stuff, because you're you know worried about surviving paycheck to paycheck, then you just don't realize it's happening. I think Bitcoin is this real world instantiation of that, that will demonstrate, show people what money really is. You can intellectually think about it. You can listen to a politician talk about it. And Ron Paul says, audit the Fed. They're stealing from you. Uh, but it's hard to really understand that without having an example of to the counterpoint, right? And that's what Bitcoin is. It's waking us all up. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. And that's, you know, the kind of the issue that the Austrians ran into, right? It's like, you know, in their writings, whether they wanted to create, uh, you know, private bank competing currencies, whether they were backed by gold or a basket of commodities and this kind of stuff. And it was like, maybe those would have been better temporarily, right? But you'd always just default back to the same issues. You know, there would be a concentration right. of the of power of, uh, you know, custodians, third party, this, like even, you know, the market dynamic of all these competing currencies just wouldn't have been enough to overcome perhaps that natural human inclination toward comfort and concentration and delegation of responsibility in return for a perceived level of security, right? And, and so as a result, it just, this, we, it, it kind of manifested this fiat system at its, at the apex of that behavior. And as it happens, you know, something like Bitcoin emerges on the world to not only force the issue and kind of like, and, and that's what that's what Bitcoin is doing, but like you said, to kind of hold up the mirror, to put pressure on this, to kind of, or not the mirror, but to kind of shine a light on, on how this, all this actually works and the effects that it has on damn near every aspect of society, you know, because it is the right. fundamental component. It is the money. Like you said, it's half of every transaction. So how could it not touch and affect pretty much society on every level and everybody in it. Right. And, I, you know, that's that's the kind of the um, the weird uh, elements of our times right now, because if we are kind of in the later stages of, you know, fee this fiat money experiment, and some would argue we're not, you know, but, you know, if, if we say that we are in the later stages of that, you would expect to see a lot of different manifestations of the imbalances that it has created, right? And I think we're starting to see that, or not starting, but I think maybe we're mid-game somewhere, but we're start, we're seeing all these social manifestations of, and, and people identifying problems, and in my opinion, 
uh, wrongly attributing causes. Um, but we're seeing that mm-hmm. all over. There's, there's, there's unrest and disruption happening everywhere. And uh, I think most of us Bitcoiners would probably say that it's because of the money and Bitcoin fixes this, you know, but not, not very many people see it that way at the moment. Yeah, and more and more will. Uh, you know, I this fiat experiment, the gold bugs have been, you know, kind of yelling this for a long time. You know, and Ron Paul really made the, I think, had the kind of loudest voice or made the most impact on kind of the, at least the U.S. stage, maybe even the world stage about, you know, decrying what was happening here. And, and uh, I think there's been, you know, many times where gold bugs have, called for, you know, here's the, the big crack up boom, as Austrians call it, right? Uh, and I've been calling for that for decades, really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, who knows how long, how much longer these central banks can kind of pull a rabbit out of a hat and, and keep things going and keep this trade going. Uh, but, you know, we are sort of at an extreme. We are an extreme that has never been reached before. Negative interest rates all over the place. Um, you know, like you said, instability, uh, political unrest and economic instability all over the world. Uh, and now we have another thing that's very different is we have Bitcoin. We have, like I said, this this real this instantiation of, of the alternative, which has not existed before. So, you know, this is the Bitcoin hasn't been through an economic a recession or a collapse. Uh, it was born out of the, the 2008 financial collapse. And it hasn't really, you know, it was didn't even have a, a U.S. dollar a price equivalent or whatever, uh, a trade value for almost a couple of years. So, and, and by that point, we had sort of printed our way out of, <laughs> out of uh, quantitatively eased, whatever the hell that means. It means money printing, uh, out, of, out of that, uh, that problem. So Bitcoin hasn't been through an economic crisis yet. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens because there is one on the horizon. Uh, it may be next year, maybe a few years away it will come. Um, so whether or not Bitcoin is seen as, you know, a safe haven asset or it's seen as too risky and gets dumped is, uh, yet to be seen. Uh, I think it will depend a lot on education podcasts like this. Um, and you know, all, all the kinds of uh, the writing that's been put out, uh, Bitcoin, Twitter, just Bitcoiners, being hired by Bitcoin, by the incentives in the network to educate uh, other people, new coiners, about what's going on. I think if we get a critical mass, and we we also see you know politicians who are pro Bitcoin popping up in in uh, in the United States Congress, and I'm sure in other parts of the world too. Um, I think if we get a critical mass there, we'll be able to you know basically convince enough people that Bitcoin is. Uh, where you should put your money in a very economically and politically risky time because it's it's a safe store of value. Uh, and I think we're about there. I think we're we're getting there. So uh, we'll see what happens. I think in a couple of years, you know, a couple more years of, of this education and talking about this on mainstream media and all, you know, and, and the alternative media, uh, you know, uh, channels out there that will get a critical mass and be able to convince people that that's what they should do with their money yeah. at that time. So, yeah, I mean, I, Obviously, I'm in favor of, of talking about this stuff and uh, 
education educating people is a bit strong because you know i don't see myself that way i realize that you know that may be the effect some of the time but just exposure you know exposure to these ideas exposure to uh this technology this way of thinking all the, all that kind of stuff but as you were saying that and i always think about like how it's going to play out of course nobody knows but i think you know the 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 mainstream will react to the the dominant narrative right you know so Maybe at the next crisis, they won't dump... Because if, if, if they recognize that fiat is a problem, then I think Bitcoin has a good chance of, of going up in a crisis rather than down, right? But I saw, right. I saw I think, I don't know if it was Marty Bent or somebody shared on Twitter like five minutes before I came on here um, that Mark Carney was basically saying that um, climate change is the reason for the current you know kind of financial woes. And it's definitely something that's... Uh, going to be really tough to uh, you know to to combat, and we all need to gather together and blah blah blah. So basically, scapegoating you know the the problems of the current system on this big issue that uh, a big portion of the world uh, is behind. And if that's the case, if the narrative for the collapse of the system is not in what I would deem the truth, i.e., the current monetary standard and fiat money and that kind of stuff, but if it's scapegoated to something else, then that 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 could mean that during the next collapse you know the real the real culprit is not caught and that would be maybe bad for for bitcoin now the truth is probably somewhere in the middle like it's not all good or all bad but it is interesting you know and critical even how the narr- the narratives that play out and how that affects people's behavior and to that extent uh you know what we do and what other people in the space do i think is and even to you know, people in their private lives, the conversations they have with friends and family and people they meet is critical, is actually critically important because it's just with every podcast download, with every person you talk to, with every person you sit next to on the plane <laughs> or, or whatever, like, yeah, it's that, you know, the, these, this, these types of thoughts are seeping through and it, and it's just more food for thought. And like you said, at some point there's a, there's a critical mass. Or, you know, at least that's that's the hope. It, it won't happen if we've got to get to some critical mass, whatever that is, we don't know. Right. But I, I think and I've been on this kind of kick, you know, for a little while now. And I just think I get, you know, privacy and OPSEC and all that kind of stuff. And I think uh, you have to find what you're comfortable with and do it the best that you can. Um, but one, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between wanting this to go mainstream and you know it to become the world reserve currency but simultaneously telling everybody like well don't tell anybody you have any because you know could be problems it's like well how's it gonna be you know something for everybody if 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 nobody is gonna say that they have any but but more than more than that is uh i just think people and i you know i've said this a bit uh so i'll be quick but i i think people respond to enthusiasm you know, and that respond to emotion. Yeah. It, it doesn't negate the fact that you have to articulate yourself well and be informed and knowledgeable. But if you can combine those two, and I think that's what, why Andreas has been such a great, you know, uh, advocate for the community and he's been so popular is because obviously he's a great speaker. He's articulate. He knows what he's talking about. And he, you know, he's passionate about it. Now, I know he's received some criticism lately for, for some <laughs> things. But, you know, my point is just that if, you know, People respond to emotion, and we're seeing people respond to emotion, uh, emotion around the world today in in a lot of bad ways. You know, like people getting riled up for, uh, you know, perhaps without the requisite, 
data and information behind those emotions. But if you can bring both to the table, like if you can really be rational and logical uh, and informed and project emotion enthusiasm, you know, in, in some capacity, not overdo it, of course. I, I think, you know, I think that's a, I don't know. I think that's good. You know, I think that's probably the route that I'll take. Yeah, yeah, I think it's successful too. And it's it's the certainly the vibe of the Citizen Bitcoin podcast. You know, it's optimistic, forward-looking, enthusiastic, et cetera. Uh, and I agree with you on that front. I think on the privacy question, the question about, you know, the, the sort of conflict between, hey, we want this to become mainstream and, and money for the people, but, you know, you shouldn't tell anybody that you have some. I think that comes out of a time where, and Matt O'Dell talked about this on our episode, which was quite a while ago now, but it was a great. It was a great one. One of the things he said was that the opsec and then the sort of devotion to to privacy and opsec really comes out of the early days of Bitcoin, the the first you know four or five years when Bitcoiners were extremely uh, devoted to teaching each other about how to do this privately and how to be anonymous and, and maintain your your operation your opsec uh, because you know everyone thought at that point that the government was just going to ban it and crack down and if you had if you it was you know bitcoin was able to be traced to you in some way shape or form that you might get you know at least have it confiscated your wealth confiscated or maybe even worse you know thrown in jail or taken to court or whatever um, and you know of course it, the state, the, there's very good reason to fear the state. You know, even in a country like the United States, which is, you know, more free than most, uh, it, it's still, the, the U.S. will still, uh, you know, look what they did to Ross. You know, um, two 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 plus years with no chance of parole, and you know he's already lost his his appeal. Um, so it, it's just barbarous, really, what they've done to him. It's cruel and and unusual, uh, and they made an example of him because of Bitcoin. You know, there were similar uh, crimes uh, that were committed, uh, you know, similar in the sense that uh, people were enabling the purchase of drugs or weapons or whatever, and didn't get any, anywhere close to that kind of a sentence, right? Yeah, I heard, Tra I heard Trace Mayer on somebody's podcast. I was out on a run today and I was listening to it. I can't remember if it was Stefan or... Uh, not sure, but anyways, he 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 brought up Ross, and it was just it just broke my heart because he was like, um, look, he he had a double life sentence, um, and he lost his appeal. Like all, and he actually said like, everyone put, passing around this petition and stuff, it's a waste of time. He's not getting out. Period. It's done. And I was just unless like, there's a presidential pardon, right? Right, I mean, right. That's and chance. I mean, I was cr like when he said that, I was just like, oh, that's fucking heavy as shit. But um, but also, I mean. You got to keep faith. I mean, you can't not keep faith, especially, you know, if you're Ross, you got to keep out hope. And you, who knows how the fuck the world might change in 40 years, you know, like a lot of weird yeah. stuff can happen. But uh, but yeah, that that was just uh, that's such a goddamn shame. Yeah. And that's I think that's where the devotion to opsec comes from. Right. And it's it's still there. So I think there's going to be this sort of transition where the early Bitcoiners who are devoted to being anonymous and, and uh, maintaining operational security and, you know, will sort of transition into more, you know, more people who are willing to be public. Um, you know, Matt, Matt himself came out and, and uh, doxed himself because he believed that he could, you know, do more good for Bitcoin by being a, a public educator. Um, 
you know, so I think more and more people will will choose that path and we'll have a gradual transition. I think there will always be people who decide to remain anonymous. Um, and that's great. We need both both people. I mean, both kinds of people. It's important for people to understand the importance of privacy. That's another thing that Bitcoin has, you know, changed for me. I was I had resigned to the to a world of radical transparency, you know, uh, and that that's just the way things were going to be. Um, after the Snowden documents were released, and I just read his book, by the way. Uh, it's it's amazing, and every Bitcoiner should should get his book, Permanent Record, and listen to it or read it. Um, after that, I was like, oh well, you know, look, they're already doing it. It's here, you know, and it's still. I mean, they're probably still doing it, despite the fact that, that they're not supposed to be. Um, and Bitcoin gives me some hope that uh, the mass sort of distribution of cryptographic technology uh, will help us, you know, maintain some privacy. And I think it's important for uh, anonymous Bitcoiners to, you know, continue to be anonymous and continue to preach the preach privacy and the importance of privacy. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people who most people out there, I think, are still of the mind, like, what do I have to hide? You know, I don't I don't need privacy. I don't have anything to hide. I'm not a criminal. Yeah. Um, and that's just that's just a, a wrong way to think about privacy. Um, humans, all of those people still, you know, close the door when they take a dump. You know what I mean? Like they're or or when they're you know making love, uh, all kinds of things. You know, uh, people. You know, we all wear clothes and stuff like that. Like we all humans need some level of privacy in our lives. Um, we're not built or made or, or evolved to, uh, have this, you know, kind of radical transparency for the most part. Right. So yeah, it's just the wrong way to think about privacy. And I think Bitcoin will also teach people the importance of privacy. Yeah. And I think that's important. And I totally agree. And I, when I say the kind of inherent, um, opposition between, you know, wanting mainstream adoption, but preaching privacy, like, I, I I'm not, it's just kind of a, one of those funny things, but I totally agree that, that, Bitcoin does cause people to consider their, their privacy more, and that's a good thing and that they should, you know? And then you get to determine, yeah. and it's not, you know, may, it's not even always about privacy, but it, it will probably come down in the future to just being in control of your data and your information, you know? So, you know, you may choose to be a very transparent individual, you know? You may choose to be very open and whatever in the digital realm, but just knowing that you control the faucet of the data and you know where it goes. And if there's anything right. to be gained from it, like if it's being monetized or sold in some way, then you are privy and party to that. You know, I think that is really, you know, probably what the future is gonna look like. Um, but I agree, you know, and Bitcoin, and it's part of the, um, you know, the kind of way that Bitcoin inspires people to consider so many different elements of their life more, but particularly in the privacy and financial realm, you know, because this uh, this argument comes up a lot where people say, like, not everybody's going to control their own, you know, keys and, you know, there's still going to be banks and custodians and all this kind of stuff. And, like, I, I don't know where I fall on that. I know a lot of people are just so far away from taking that responsibility and so ingrained in the, the existing way of doing things. But... I mean, that, that's what this thing is about, right? It's, it's really taking that for yourself and being in control one way or the other and taking responsibility for 
you know, the security or for for the loss if, if that occurs. And I know that's super scary. And, and like, like we were saying earlier with uh, just there may be an innate um, desire for comfort. And this is one of the elements that, co- that causes the concentration of power because we all delegate um, responsibility and sovereignty in exchange for comfort and the perception of security. And this, this creates structures in which power concentrates. And that's a big, big thing to overcome. It may be, be overcoming our very nature. And we may never have had a tool that allows us to do that, you know, but Bitcoin is one is that tool and so it's fundamentally challenging deeply ingrained behaviors if that is true and so that's a pretty big hill to climb and, and for that reason i think it is good that people preach privacy and, and talk about these considerations because it brings them to awareness and then obviously helps people um helps people manage them if they choose to um but yeah i don't know where i was going with that yeah i think <laughs> uh, no i think i think on the the, the question about whether or not we can expect people to hold their own keys uh, in the future, that, that maybe that idea seems a bit far-fetched because, you know, it's not convenient. Um, I think that that's going to be basically solved by, you know, UX design technology. Uh, and, I mean, I, I look at CASA, right? CASA, you know, I'm a, um, I have a CASA node, and their multi-sig product is fantastic. It's, it's seedless, all right? So you don't have to worry about storing your seed somewhere in a bank vault or in a in a safe in your house or anything like that. Uh, it's a two of three for the basic multi-sig, the gold level. It's two of three. If you lose one of the keys, CASA can rotate it out for you. You can actually do that yourself. You can rotate it out uh, and, and establish it um, or reestablish it basically with a new key. Uh, so that, that helps a ton and the, the app is the user experience on it is amazing. It's super simple. Um, and it, it'll get better and better. Uh, sats app that they provide as well is an extremely simple, uh, UX for sending and receiving uh, Bitcoin on lightning or, uh, Bitcoin on, on chain. So I, we're seeing, uh, you know, really rapid development on that front. And I think that's sort of where the future is, is seedless multi-sig, for the average the average uh, user, um, so I'm not so worried about that. And I, you know, I, the kind of plug and play nodes uh, that development. I mean, we're still at the really early stage of that. Uh, you know, you could figure. Uh, I think that that will be, you know, something like we have like a like a cable box or a PlayStation or even your router. You know, it'll just be a box that you plug in uh, and you can. You know, verify the ledger yourself, and uh, you know you can a- attach it to your your multi-sig so that it uses your own node to verify what's going on, uh, and that'll all be very easy, very simple. Uh, you know, and there'll be services like Casa that will be there to hold hold your hand, you know, and and make sure that you are doing it right and you feel comfortable about what's going on. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, I think as far as like. What, another thing that's really cool on the privacy front and like the personal responsibility front and owning your own data, owning your own wealth, is that Bitcoin has inspired the development of uh, technologies like Blockstack, right? And I think there will be you know other technologies that are similar, basically it'll, that allow you to hold, own your own data and parcel it out to services um, as you wish and then pull it back uh, without leaving a copy on some centralized party's server, right? 
right now our data is just everywhere you know and it propagates everywhere and copies of it are everywhere uh and it's as you know the title of Snowden's book says it's, it's part of the permanent record at this point it's not going to go anywhere um it's it's be it's it's like it's like bitcoin's ledger it's it's been copied at this point so the idea of owning your own wealth will lead to the idea of owning your own data and the ability to do both of those things uh and we'll just we'll be we're moving toward a world that's um toward the, a sovereign individual world where you're able to you know control your life um and that's that's profound uh in a, in a digital age so yeah. Totally, man. Like a lot of things came to my mind when you were just saying that. But the first one was, as you know, once all this keeps being developed, uh, and at some point it just becomes de facto status quo, right? Can you imagine, a, you know, a young kid, a young child emerging in the world when they have, they have de facto financial sovereignty, data privacy, like just all of those things? What kind of a, a feeling of empowerment that'll be, like? Because, you yes. know, right now, um, you know, and you reference the term sovereign individual, right now most individuals are just like a compendium of dependent relationships. And ha that's a very powerless feeling. It must, you know, it must yeah. be. And, and again, I think it's probably subconscious. But, you know, no, subconsciously, we all probably know that we're dependent on our bank to access our money and we're dependent on the central bank and the government for the value of our money and we're dependent on the grocery store for our food and we're dependent on the the energy company and the grid for our electricity and we're dependent we're dependent we're dependent and so what is the individual now it's 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 a it's certainly not sovereign it's it's a yeah it's, it's a bunch of dependent relationships each of which could be withdrawn at any moment without any of your say or control or consent you know, yes. that, that is the antithesis of, of sovereignty. And that's certainly a powerless feeling. I can feel it when I'm saying it, you know, but I can also yes. feel when I imagine the reverse of that, where each one of those things, where you've severed the relationship of dependence and you've established control for yourself, like, man, I was welling up inside of me. Like, you know, it's a strength yeah. and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a very empowering feeling. And just to know that that is on the horizon and to know even further than that, that people will emerge in the world and that will be what they have access to from the from the get man like yeah. <laughs> that's worth fighting I mean, for man that is worth fighting absolutely, for absolutely man yeah man i hear that and i i'm feeling it too and it's it's inspiring and, and and directing us toward bitcoin is inspiring and directing us toward a more decentralized world in general which is much more anti-fragile right right now we have this like you said centralized systems where we're dependent on so many things that are utterly uh, vulnerable to black swan events, right? right. At, ev at every level. So I think in the future, we'll see, uh, you know, these kind of decentralized uh, political experiments as uh, Bitstein, Michael Goldstein put it on our on our episode. He's, he talked about a Bitcoin future being this sort of uh, decentralized regions of a political experimentation where you can just sort of go where you are... Um, drawn to like the way you want to live you know th those options will be all over the world and because there's a diversity of you know diversity of ways that people are living uh humanity is is more like resilient to and, and anti-fragile to these kind of black swan events right um and that's i mean that's what that's where we're going and the first stage of that is you know 
I, I would say I would argue like the early internet was that oh, that was the ideal, right? The decentralization of information, right? Then make it available to everyone, so it's not so centralized, right? It's the, like the Library of Alexandria moment uh, for everyone, and and that's that's a, a wonderful thing. But the internet has also been increasingly centralized since then, right? And we're you know all dependent on a single ISP, right? I mean, or maybe there's two or three available where you are, but there's you know, a tiny, just a, a few, a very few number, right? But we're heading to a world where there's going to be these mesh networks that we can, that, you know, tie into um, and and completely route around any centralization whatsoever, right? These are, there's examples at every level. And, you know, Bitcoin is the inspiration for that, for that world, for that future. Uh, and the example, yeah. 100%, man. It's exciting shit. <laughs> yeah, that is. Hell yeah. You know, because I used to, and I still do, I, you know, I see, I occasionally uh, come across the mainstream news media. I try to avoid it. I don't, like, watch TV or anything, but on Twitter and stuff like that, you come across it. And one of the things that always got me down was, you know, I've always been uh, maybe, yeah, like an eternal optimist despite, you know, uh, more rational considerations, I guess you would say. But at least hopeful and uh but seeing the manner in which people were behaving uh and just the way people thought and acted like i always thought to myself how does this get turned around like this is a generational and i'm like we're not even the ship's not even beginning to turn around so presumably it's going to get worse but like this is this is from you know the time you're a kid and the education you get and the environment you're raised in and like this is all very very big stuff that has a, a, a momentum to it that I like I, I didn't see how that could get turned around and I you know the real answer is probably still like for some it's not you know not everybody can be saved unfortunately that's that that's probably going to be the case but at least I think there's this there's this thing out there that's compelling people uh, to wake up a little bit and to realize uh, for, for, for lack of an all-encompassing term, a more all-encompassing term, kind of realize the ramifications of their behavior and the relationships in their life with people and with entities and, and inanimate objects, for example, um, and just hopefully start to, to, chip, to chip away at that, you know? And I think we were talking behavior change at the beginning of the, the, the hour, and, and then I just, you know, just articulating how kind of... Uh, you know, like exciting it made me feel just to be articulating what kind of a world it would be like when all those dependencies uh, were removed and people had, you know, the power themselves in, in all of those different capacities and realms. Yeah, I think that's what's happening with us Bitcoiners in the space. Like, and we're still all dependent as fuck, right, on everything, on food and electricity yeah. and banking and everything. But we, we, we can smell it, you know, like we can smell it and we, we can, we can, fast forward ahead and see a little bit further and i think we're all starting to feel that power and some of course sometimes it it flares off in toxicity or bravado or overconfidence or whatever but i think uh i feel like we're all being tickled with this uh with this sovereignty thing and it's it's such early days but <laughs> tickled you know, with sovereignty <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, we, we feel the power coming you know it certainly seems like that to me yeah, I think we do. I mean, that's why we're so excited, right? I mean, that's why we're—that's I mean, what we're talking about here. Why we're spending our time on this, and why we are, 
uh, so jazzed on this episode. I mean, it's it's uh, you're right. There's an inkling. There's a there's a little tickle. There's a little uh, feeling like in our in our guts, you know, that you know this is this is happening. You know, there's a chance here. That's why I you know was so it turned me around on the idea of privacy. You know, I was resigned to this you know feeling of I'm going to be watched all the time, yeah. uh, and that's just the way it's going to be. And uh, you know, every de- I, I think about all the cameras in my home and the microphones, and you know, I yeah, I've give, I I sacrificed. I admit, uh, almost almost all of us have my privacy for convenience, for access to information, for access to entertainment, um, all that stuff. And what we have to do, and humans are going to do that. Humans want to be entertained. Humans want to have access information like we we want knowledge we want communication with other humans we want all that stuff so what we have to do is build the technology in a way where we preserve privacy and sovereignty uh while you know allowing for all of those uh technologies to persist right uh and i think that's what we're on you know the precipice of doing and this is just the beginning uh it's it's you know gonna be you know a, a long process and when when most bitcoiners talk about how this is a, a marathon not a sprint you know, I agree that I agree completely that that's the way it is for Bitcoin too. But for me, the larger marathon is the promise of the world that Bitcoin is going to provide for us and inspire for us and incentivize uh, the building of. Um, that's the long game, right? And I'm thinking about my kids and my grandkids and the kind of future that I want them to have. You know, my kids know about Bitcoin. You know, we have the Bitcoin Rabbi's book, uh, and we read it. My, my my son loves it. He loves. He talks about, um, you know, Satoshi all the time. Like we we do the oh node heartbeat God, together. That must be so cool. <laughs> yeah, he's four and he's four and a half years old. We we do the node heartbeat together every morning. Um, he he's like, Dad, did we get the Satoshis this week? You know, and I'm like. I tried to tell him the other day that we call him Sats for short, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to do that. I like Satoshi's better. I'm going to say Satoshi's." <laughs> All right, um, you know, and he just he knows that we have like this this better money, uh, and and he asks me like, "How are things are how are things going with Bitcoin? Did you work on Bitcoin today? Um, you know, what's oh going God, on?" Your man? heart must explode, man. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, they just they know all about it. They're, you know, I talk about on the podcast this idea of default Keynesians. That so I've kind of thought about this a bit more and I've I've kind of separated it out there's there's Keynesian cultists who know what they're doing and or maybe they just believe it right they've been you know whatever uh, but they they work toward this Keynesian world toward establishing and perpetuating it and then there's default Keynesians which who, who are people who have just sort of been you know acculturated to this idea and this is just the way things are they're resigned to it or they just don't even know you know uh, about the way money works um, and so because they don't have that knowledge or whatever, they're just, this is the way things are. The government controls the money. Well, we have a whole generation of default Bitcoiners being raised right now. And my daughter and my son, as they grow up and, and you know, get older and, and start thinking about, you know, making money and, and what they want to do with their future, will have Bitcoin as a tool to use and also as an inspiration for the future, for a better future. Uh, and then when they have kids, if they have kids, uh, they're, imagine in what, that, you know, that's 20, 30, 20, 30 years away for my kids. Um, uh, you know, you can imagine the future that they'll be living in there and we'll be well down the road toward what we've been talking about this whole episode and that, that world. And then 
we'll hand it off to that generation and they'll just keep building and building. And, you know, by the end of this century, we'll have a, a whole new world that, and it's starting right now. This is the Bitcoin was the seed of, of that, of that new, of that future for us. I think we'll be, you know, exploring the solar system. I think we'll be, you know, pushing toward uh, new technologies that will allow us to explore other solar systems. Um, I think we'll be colonizing the moon and, and Mars and maybe even moons on Jupiter. I really want to see what the hell's under Io, the frozen, the frozen moon of Jupiter. There's supposed to be a whole sea down there. You know, it could be teeming with life. That would be incredible, right? So all of these sort of dreams of humanity, of, of science fiction that we've grown up with, I think will be incentivized to come true by Bitcoin, right? I mean, it not only inspires people to do that and gives people the ability to do that, but it's also incentivized. I mean, it's the amazing part, amazing ability of hard money is that it, you know, it just incentivizes exploration and innovation and long-term thinking and these these grand projects, you know, and the realization of grand visions. So it's it's amazing. God damn it! I gotta try to sleep after this. I'm so fucking jacked <laughs> up right now. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, um, I, I and you can feel free to pass on this question, but you you brought up your kids and like, is is your um, spouse like a privy to? I mean, of course she's privy to your Bitcoin stuff. Is she on board? Does she like? Does she support it? Yeah, yeah she does. Com- she does uh, completely at this point. I remember when... That's because she knows you got that 6.15. That's why. You know, that's right. Um, although I don't refer to him and refer to her in that vulgar way, of course. <laughs> of course. But, <laughs> um, no, in 2017, when I was, you know, starting to gain conviction, you know, I, I had some fiat that I put in, but I really wanted to make a bigger allocation to Bitcoin, bigger investment in Bitcoin. Uh and so I wrote a seven-page memo to my wife <laughs> about why we should invest more in Bitcoin. And I took her out to dinner, presented it to her. She asked me a bunch of questions. And the next morning, she was like, all right, I'm in. Let's do it. And then we kind of, you know, we, we freed up some money uh, from, from other investments and, and uh, started allocating, you know, uh, just kind of dollar-cost averaging in. Sorry, what uh, was this? Cents. What's that? When, when when did you take her out to dinner and have the whole ex- explanation thing? This was like uh, twenty eighteen. It was when we, you know, had like she had already heard about Bitcoin, but when I, I had to like pitch her on making a larger investment. And right. after the you know the the all time high and we started going down, uh, and I had like heard enough about sort of these cycles and and how you know bitcoin works i've been looking at the the long-term charts and all that stuff and so i was like well you know now's the time to start thinking about putting more money in if we're going to do it um and so yeah it was like early 2018 pitched her on it and then we started kind of scaling in as you know price went down so how did did she was she steadfast in december 2018 or was she like (laughs) coming at you with I definitely, the... got some shade. I definitely got some shade. It's <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? I was, and but what was cool was she, she then came back like a while later, and I, she actually did some reading on her own. I was like, here, you know, this really helped me, you know, 
have some conviction about this investment. And so she read like uh, Internet of Money, a, a few chapters of the Internet of Money, uh, and you know skimmed through the Bitcoin Standard. Like I picked out some cha some chapters of that for her to read. And then <laughs> a few weeks later, she was like, she was like, "What's the price of Bitcoin?" I was like, "Oh, it's it's you know dip back down. It's like." Three thousand or something. She's like, "Oh man, we gotta buy more. Three thousand dollars. This is the time. This is the time we gotta buy more." You know? Um, oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, it was it was good stuff. Like she's she's definitely in now, and um, you know, just excited about the success of the podcast and the future that you know Bitcoin promises. She's all in. So, God damn uh, it's, it, that's it's, dope, man. That's awesome. We're a Bitcoin we're a Bitcoin family. At this point. That is so sick. Yeah, I'll reiterate this again. I think I mentioned it once or twice already, but Brandon Quidden, when I was talking to him, he was like, you know, and I think he said it a bunch elsewhere. He, uh, we need, you know, people have been talking about Bitcoin generally, mostly. You know, you've got, uh, you know, the Bitcoin rabbi in his book, and it's starting to kind of like bifurcate to like more niche categories, but like, Someone's got to write the Bitcoin for Moms book, you know? Like, yeah. how many <laughs> yeah. how many dude Bitcoiners are out there with their spouse that like doesn't really get it? But you know, like, someone needs to write the book to for that particular audience. And Brandon's point was like, every you know, we all come at we all have different perspectives and are at different stages in life and have different interests and that kind of stuff. And you know, people need to be uh, instead of just coming at everyone like this is Bitcoin. You know, you come at vegans with bitcoin and moms for bitcoin and grandparents and like everything you know because the the way that you the way that you articulate it will be somewhat different right you'll use different examples yeah, to yeah. relate and stuff like that so i like that idea bitcoin for moms somebody's got to take that and run with it i like it too maybe uh, you should you're the like one some... with all the experience <laughs> <laughs> maybe it sounds like something alex edelman and lolly should do uh you know like i think that that's gonna those kinds of apps are going to expose a lot of new people. And, you know, just, I don't want to stereotype, but, you know, you know, I think it's at least true in my life that, uh, you know, my wife does the majority of the shopping for us, you know, like sure, I'll, I go sure. to the grocery store and stuff, but like, you know, sh like buying the stuff off the internet, off Amazon or whatever, like she does all that stuff for us. Um, and she's really good at it. You know, she, she finds deals. She knows, she, she knows how to, you know, Say like save money while you're shopping all that stuff, and so I've got her hooked up with Lolly now, and uh, we've also been been working with uh, with Fold, and both of those apps are amazing. Like you can you know stack Sats like crazy, uh, so and it's not that hard. It's not that hard, man. Like uh, you know you buy a hundred dollar Amazon gift card instead of just like checking out on your debit card. All you gotta do is buy this. You know it's maybe an extra minute. Buy an Amazon gift card, stack your sats, then make your purchase, right? Um, does so, she love it? Yeah. Does your Does your wife love it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like she loves finding deals, you know. And so, this is a deal, you know. This is like a way for she the she deal of the century. Holy of, shit! No <laughs> shit. Mean, like on. it's it's like uh, contributing to our to our retirement savings basically. Every time that you know we check out at Amazon and we. You know, we most most Americans, I'm sure, just you know, we spend a hell of a lot of money on Amazon. You know, <laughs> um, so I'm I'm excited that Fold Fold has the gift card uh, uh, rewards for Amazon right now. So, yeah, um, it's it's good stuff, man. And I, I think Lolly <laughs> or or Fold could put together something like um, like Square did with their really amazing kind of intro to Bitcoin. That kind of the the uh, illustrated 
car- like almost cartoon style, very simple and direct uh, explanation of Bitcoin, uh, you know, in the app. And I think that would go a long way. Yeah. Uh, sure. And then you know, you could you could uh, whoever writes the Bitcoin for Moms book could just kind of, you know, do some little advertising at the end of that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> for more, buy this book. <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen. Uh, how you doing on time? I'm good. I'm good on time. I got like another half hour. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize we're an hour and 20 minutes in, but uh, I wanted to get to the rapid fire questions. But did you have anything else you wanted to jam on before we do that? Oh, no, man. I think we covered a lot of ground. That was a lot of fun. And I'm like so jacked up right now. uh, (laughs) I'm going to have to like go to the gym and get some of this energy out. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's 10.30 p.m., so I might have to go for a late night run or something. Um, (laughs) What's up, guys? That is the end of my conversation with Brady. If you want to hear Brady answer the rapid-fire questions, that episode is available now as well. See ya.